We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. NBA Most Valuable Player, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis trailing the lob. Oh. Hey there, welcome to the Eurostep, a Milwaukee Bucks podcast, proudly a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am Ty Winnish. I am joined, as always, by my inquisitive co-host, Rohan Kadi. Rohan, how's it going? I'm doing all right, doing all right. Gearing up for the postseason. We got play-in games going on. It's just, it's the best time of the year. It is. It really is. And I say you're inquisitive today. Well, one, because you are. And two, because we're both excited to pick someone's brain. We've got a guest on the show. We are bringing in the host of the Locked On Heat podcast and doer of many other great things, of course. But I'll just stick to that credential for now. David Ramil. David, how's it going? I am doing great, Ty. Thank you guys so much for inviting me on here. I am very looking forward to talking about this series and talking about the playoffs in general. Absolutely. Did I get the last name right? You always get it right, man. Okay. You it. I, I'm always worried about it. I'm glad it, at least you say I always get it right. At, at least I'll be able to sleep at night if I did or not. So that's that's what's keeping you up, worrying about <laughs> saying my last name. I'm sorry. You, you don't have a lot of pressure. You're a happy guy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Saying everyone's name, honestly, I feel like I'm not good with names. I think I, I grip I grip it too hard. You know, I think about it too much, and that's when you blow it. Well, I mean, names are names are good to get right. They're the most personal thing about an individual. So I agree, you know, Rahan. Okay, so so we want to talk about changes, not the Tupac song, but changes in the Bucks and the Heat since the Bubble series. Because I feel like, obviously, this is a rematch, quite literally is, and it's a much anticipated one, maybe on the Miami side more than the Bucks side, but still, it is a rematch. But there's so much different 
with these two teams. So I want to kind of bop back and forth. You know, Rohan and I can talk about what's different with the Bucks. David, of course, can bring the Heat perspective. And I guess we can kind of just react and, and weigh in uh, and have these little mini conversations. But I think what makes the most sense probably is to start with the Bucks' number one difference, which Rohan, correct me if you think otherwise, but I think it's just having Drew Holiday. The, the defensive changes are close. I think it's right up there. But I think at the end of the day, basketball more than any other sport, the individual players are so important. And flipping out Bledsoe for Drew Holiday is such a, a magnitude of a, of a move. I think it's, it's – I, I messed up that word, but it's okay. It's such a, a big move. I'm just going to go big. It's such a big move, a huge upgrade. Sorry, Bledsoe. It takes shots every single episode uh, unintentionally. But I think that might just be number one, just having another capable ball handler – who is better at that than Chris Middleton, better just at handling the ball in itself than Giannis even and setting the table, I think that's such a huge difference. So, Rohan, first we'll go to you. Do you agree, disagree? And if if you do agree, expound on the impact of Drew. Yeah, so we've talked about this before. There's a lot of schematic adjustments we can get into, but like you said, at the end of the day, talent is what matters most in the NBA. And if you're taking... Uh, a player, sorry, again, sorry, Eric Bledsoe, who ended up being a net negative for this team when it came down to the playoff time and, like, what teams would pick on, they would pick on Eric Bledsoe. They would just leave him. They would let him do whatever he wanted on the basketball court, which was a bad thing for the Milwaukee Bucks and has been a one of the main reasons that they have flamed out in the playoffs the last two seasons. They have replaced that player with someone that defenses have to honor, that they have to respect, and they have to game plan against. Going from someone who is a net negative to someone who is a very much a net positive, that's the biggest difference, and you hit it right on the head. Yeah, and I think in addition to all that just drew himself, I think also pushing everybody not named Giannis down the the totem pole of offensive responsibility is huge. And at the same time, making Giannis's life a lot easier too. So, you know, David is someone who, like us, obviously watched a lot of, or not a lot of, all of the last season very closely and reacted to it a ton. What are your thoughts on on the Bucks adding Drew? And did you expect for that to be what we looked at as the number one difference for Milwaukee this time around? I mean, there are other changes in how they've been utilizing Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think that's uh, something you could probably speak to a lot more and probably have on, on regularity. But as far as Miami is concerned, I can tell you that I think it's the addition of Holiday that is the biggest challenge that they'll be moving forward, uh, they'll be facing moving forward. Uh, you know, Goran Dragic was such a huge factor for the Heat in, in the playoffs last year. Uh, I don't think he's going to be that much of a factor, not just because of age and health, but also because you have a guy like Holiday who isn't going to get roasted like Bledsoe was so regularly. Uh, you know, he's a guy who can – you can stick him onto either Dragic or Tyler Hero or somebody else, and that changes the complexity of a game so completely. So for a guy like Holiday – and then conversely, those guys aren't great defenders, so you have to worry about matching Holiday's level of, of scoring and, and proficiency offensively. It's something that they're not quite capable of doing regularly either, so – it's it's going to be an interesting matchup there, and I wonder whether or not a guy like Kendrick Nunn can step up or something along those lines. But, yes, absolutely, I think Holiday's addition changes the ability for Budenholzer to incorporate players differently, to work different rotations, and, and just to not have to worry about who takes up the scoring load if a guy like Giannis is having a bad game or if Middleton's being you know limited for some reason or another. You can rely on a guy like Holiday who's proven at a veteran level. 
Yeah, and I think just to quickly expound on something you said, sort of the the defensive limitations of a guy like Dragic or Hero. Yeah. I feel like the Bucks were not good at at you know <laughs> making the most of that last time. Right. And I think a lot of that was to do with they didn't do as much off ball, which we can get into some of the new things they're doing. But also the Heat had Crowder and Bam uh, guarding those players, and and Jimmy also, and the Christianas pick and roll. Miami switches and it's just done, and you get good defender on good defender. It's just harder to do that with like three different guys to worry about, right? Like you have to, if you don't have three plus defenders, you are one of your two, what, like number two or number three, pick and rolling with Giannis away from a really tough situation for the Heat. Like you just it makes the the bar that much higher to be able to defend this Bucks team. But I want to throw it to you, David. What is a change? Can be positive or negative. I, I just I think Bucks fans the there's, there's, there's two schools of Bucks fans, the positive ones and the negative ones. The positive ones are like Crowder's gone. He was their best player last year, basically an MVP candidate, so they stink. And the negative ones are like, I don't know what they're really saying. With the, I don't, they probably think Tyler Harrow's going to average 70. But what is a big heat change that you think either people aren't talking about enough or maybe they are, and it's just it's something that's going to make a big difference? Well, I, I think it's the fact that Kendrick Nunn has been playing well of late. Uh, he's been somewhat inconsistent over the first couple of years of his career, but I, I think he's going to be a huge X factor for the Heat uh, just because he's a guy who probably will stay in that starting lineup aside from Goran Dragic. Uh, you know, Dragic started last year, but again, like I mentioned, with age and injury in the playoffs last year, I just don't think that you're going to be able to rely on him as much. So I think they're probably going to keep Kendrick in the starting lineup. And so you're tasking him with – you know, again, guarding Holiday, finding a way to score regularly, being consistent, and being a playmaker, something that he hasn't always been great at either. He's been very single-minded as a, a scorer, but he hasn't been able to do much else well aside from that. So I think this is going to be a huge test for him, especially as he enters free agency. Look, the, the Ariza replacement, it's not to be overlooked either. I, I think it's a huge deal. A Crowder certainly was on fire for most of his tenure with Miami, and he was certainly sure shooting 45% against the Bucks last year. So uh, it's not to be overlooked. You're not going to get that kind of production from Ariza, barring some kind of miraculous improvement from him. Like he's been off. Even shooting from the corners has uh, kind of failed him of late. So he's been actually very more most effective in trying to get to the hoop and look to the hoop that kind of relieves some of the stagnancy that has impacted Miami's offense at times. They've been very good offensively. Conversely, they've been pretty poor defensively over the last few weeks. They've managed to kind of stay in the top 10 defensively all year long, but for the most part, uh, they've kind of struggled there. So they'll give up a lot of three-pointers. Obviously, Milwaukee shoots the ball pretty well. Um, they score extremely well. Uh, I could see I could see this being very problematic for Miami to kind of match that level, and they're not going to have the quality defense that a Crowder provides, and certainly not going to have the scoring punch that he did. He, I mean, I was just looking at the numbers. I can't believe how prolific a scorer he was last year for I Miami. Think like twenty-two or twenty-three threes in the five games for Crowder. It was twenty-two made threes, which yep. is like probably more than he attempts in a lot of his playoff series. Unbelievable. <laughs> which it, it's glad you bring that up though, because. The spacing is what Milwaukee was trying to exploit last year in that series. They were like, okay, this is a team that's not like a, a prolific jump shooting team. Like they're, they're best, one of their two best players in Jimmy Butler. Like he's not a three point shooter. He rarely shoots a three. It's especially evident this year. Like he shot like what, 10 threes in the last like month or something. I might be exaggerating a little bit. No, it, it seems like that's a problem pretty accurate. And like he's been hitting them regularly over the last few weeks and, Heat fans are taking that as a, a sign that he's going to be you know, shooting 50% from three in the playoffs. I'm not quite that optimistic for good reason. But, you know, I, I feel like with Jimmy, 
it almost feels like he can hit that shot whenever he wants to. He just doesn't really feel that confident or comfortable doing so in the, during the regular season. So he doesn't have to rely on it as much as he normally does. It's just so strange with a guy like Jimmy because he can change the outcome of games so completely on his own. And sometimes that means even relying on his three-point shot a little bit more comfortably than he, he's used to. Yeah, in the month of May, he's attempted 12 threes. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I remember him being a really effective shooter in that series for some reason. Mm-hmm. I just looked. So the, the percentage jumps out. He shot 45%, but he only made five threes. So, right. you know, he's basically taking two a game and making one with one extra miss in there. So it's like not not killing the Bucks for sure. I mean, right. I think one or two of them probably felt like that. But yeah. over the course of a series, it was only, you know, 15 points or, or – no, sorry, more than – yeah, 15 points. Um, but it is interesting that he just like doesn't seem to care to shoot them anymore. I don't I don't know exactly why that is, but he's certainly finding ways to be effective even without shooting a lot of threes. Yeah, yeah. and I bring that up because David, like you mentioned, like the Trevor Ariza replacement for Jay Crowder is exponentially more important in that regard. Because like I was saying earlier, the Bucks were trying to exploit the Heat's spacing. And that's why Jay Crowder got a lot of open threes and was hitting a ton of open threes, and that's what killed the Bucks. Like that problem sort of dissipates a bit with Trevor Ariza's addition. Like, he is a good player. He is, has been a fine replacement in the meantime, like especially as of late, as he's sort of finding himself in this heat rotation. But the spacing is what's going to... That's what worries me about the Miami Heat, if I was, like, pro-Miami Heat, I should say. it's That's what would concern me. Yeah, all good points. Uh, look, Bam... Yeah, it seems like at times he's comfortable uh, shooting from the mid-range, something he's done more this year than he has last year. But at, there's, there are still times there where he holds the ball a little too much or they try to rely a little too heavily on those handoffs with Duncan Robinson. You know, Obviously, they were very effective last year. They haven't been effective this year as well. But they, they still get a little bit too reliant on Duncan freeing things up on offense. And as a result, uh, there are times there where that offense can look particularly stagnant. Now, they've changed it a lot lately, I think because you know Kendrick has been so effective over the last month and a half of the season where he's just been reinserted into the starting lineup and he changes things completely. So he's a guy who's a, a willing shooter from the perimeter. So I think Miami is starting to find some of that spacing again. And now you look to you know Duncan, uh, you look to Kendrick from the perimeter. Trevor Ariza can start off there. And maybe he can start cutting towards the rim. So that kind of keeps that ball moving, keeps it live, and, and, and gives some of that energy that Miami's offense uh, seems to thrive under when they're moving the ball well and they're sharing it and there's off ball movement. Miami's offense looks virtually unstoppable. Something I'm sure you can relate to watching the Bucks all season long. <laughs> Definitely, I, I'm glad you brought up kind of the the way that they're using Duncan differently on offense because I wanted to ask about that. Milwaukee, one of the few, if only times over the past couple of years, they've been actually good at defending threes. It feels like is if one player is like, okay, that guy you really can't let shoot the threes, they've been better about that. Like I remember Chris Middleton doing yeoman's work, just shadowing Robinson, just not letting him get shots right. up. He only made 12 threes in, in right. the series last year. He shot 35%. So maybe a little lucky, but the Bucks, I think, also did a pretty darn good job on him. I don't know why I said darn instead of damn. They did a pretty damn good job. If Duncan Robinson shoots 35% and makes 12 threes, that's damn good. But – how do you think Miami is going to – or do you think Miami is going to be able to generate better looks for him now, maybe with Kendrick Nunn offering a little more you know, of his own bounce off the bounce or, or juice off the bounce, I guess? I, I know yeah. I've seen some analysis basically that like he's more adept to kill the drop, which 
you know, we'll get into some Bucks defensive changes. I think we will see some drop for sure against Miami because we just talked about the spacing, and I think Brooke Lopez will feel comfortable at least early on giving Bam Adebayo some space there. But Kendrick Nunn could punish the Bucks. We'll see. But how do you uh, how do you imagine uh, Miami using Duncan maybe a little differently this year? Well, there's been a lot of off-ball movement for him, and he's certainly been more effective cutting to the hoop, something that you did not see from him a lot last season. So it's still not a major part. Like, Let's be honest, his, his shooting is, is ultimately going to be what uh, makes him a factor in this series. But he's been very good at even trying to create extra space. He feels much more confident, uh, even if he's being guarded closely. Uh, and he just he, he's letting it fly from even further out than he did last year, too. So his range is expanded, if you can believe it. Uh, look, he's in constant motion. Uh, obviously, Middleton will have his work cut out for him trying to stay with Duncan if they wind up duplicating, duplicating that on defense. But aside from that, you can expect a lot more off-ball movement where he tries to cut to the rim or a lot, a lot of backdoor cuts. And especially with a, a guy like Bam, who's such a good passer, you can kind of find him cutting there. So it depends on those matchups, uh, but especially with Kendrick also providing an offensive boost. It'll be interesting to see uh, whether or not Duncan is able to go off the way he did last year. Yeah, I think it's funny that you bring up uh, you and I bringing up Chris Middleton on Duncan Robinson because that's something. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I wanted to talk about his defensive matchups in this mm-hmm. series. Yeah, you you also mentioned up top, David, about uh, Drew Holiday giving the Heat guards trouble. I think we're going to see a lot of Drew Holiday on Jimmy Butler in this series because okay. one thing that really killed the Bucks last year is the guy who was doing the best defense on Jimmy Butler was uh, Wes Matthews, <sighs> and sure. in the fourth quarter of games, Wes Matthews was nowhere to be seen. MIA just on the bench. That is not going to be the case in this series because if Drew Holiday is on the bench in the fourth quarter, I don't know what kind of fixing Mike Budenholzer is doing in the series. Uh, so point shaving, yeah, point shaving. That's the that's the word I'm looking for. Uh, the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. 
Yeah, I'm just I'm interested to see and in what you think is the ideal matchup for this Miami team and this Bucks team in in, tor- in terms of defensive matchups. Like who guards who? Like Drew on Jimmy? Like does that slide Chris up? Do you sort of rotate matchups a bit? How do you think that'll play out? Well, if Holiday's going to be on Butler, I mean, partly, at least from what I recall anyway, the reason why Matthews could be so effective guarding Jimmy is because you weren't counting on him to provide an offensive boost. So if he's taxing himself with guarding Jimmy, and look, this is a guy who's bigger, probably stronger, Butler is, than Holiday. Like Holiday is certainly a stat defender, but I'd still tr- put my money on Jimmy being able to dominate the physical matchup there a little bit, even as it's just a slight edge. But you're risking foul trouble on one of your best offensive players. You're also having him exert himself defensively in a way that he's probably not used to uh, as regularly. I mean, you're, you're, you're look, Jimmy's going to play close to 40 minutes a game. Do you really want Holiday guarding him for that much of time? I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what Budenholzer des- decides, but Look, you can have Giannis, you can have Middleton guarding him as well, but then that kind of creates matchups there. It's going to be a lot of if you if you put Jimmy in a in a, on lockdown, if you're able to shut him down offensively, then it's it's going to require guys like Bam to be much more aggressive than they have been, and that's that's where the the, the key matchup is. Like, who's going to stop Bam from getting to the rim? Is it Giannis? Uh, do you want Adetokounmpo to get into foul trouble too? I, I don't know anybody else on the Bucks roster who can challenge uh, Bam or is quick enough to really stay on him defensively too. So it's going to be, it's going to have like this cascade effect too, where if you have one player kind of in a mismatch then all of a sudden you'll see like, you know, similar mismatches uh, happening throughout the court there. So I, it's, I don't know. Like I, I'm just thinking about it and, and I, you know, each coach is going to have some wrinkle, probably Spolster more than Budenholzer at this point. <laughs> For but sure. it's gonna be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's like, I've been making that point too. Like I, I I know that Budenholzer is probably going to be a little bit more flexible this year, but is that a guarantee too? You guys can answer that a lot more, better, a lot more effectively than I can. But do you expect Budenholzer to be more flexible with his rotations and things of that sort this year than he was last? Uh, I don't know about rotations. Uh, I think he'll be more flexible with defensive coverages, and I think that's probably the biggest difference outside of Drew between this and last year's Bucks is just now that they are. It's not just that they switch, like they didn't just take last year's team and start switching, with, which probably would have helped them, but it wouldn't have been nearly as good as this team because you switch out a guy like Bledsoe, who is, as as you mentioned already, like was getting put in a blender by good but not great offensive players on the Miami Heat. Like it wasn't just Jimmy, like Dragic was just annihilating the guy. He right. wasn't uh, an all an all-world defender who can switch up. He's not big enough for that or just good enough in one-on-one defense. He was great at getting over screens, which was very good for Milwaukee's drop for a while, but we saw how that worked in the playoffs. So you switch him out for Drew, who can switch pretty much all over, and also you add P.J. Tucker, who is probably the, the most important Bucks player we haven't really talked about yet. Uh, we haven't talked much about Giannis. We all know. Well, we'll, we'll talk about Giannis a bit, too. I think he's also just playing a bit differently this season. But um, I think to close games – this this will be probably the first big test for Bud. I think who covers who will be interesting, but I think to close game, to close game one, right, are we going to see Brooke Lopez out there because Bam Adebayo does not really shoot threes, and that's traditionally the kind of matchup the Bucks are like, oh, well, if the center doesn't shoot threes, we can play Brooke Lopez. Or will they go small and say Giannis on Bam or maybe P.J. Tucker on Bam to, to keep Giannis like on Ariza and just playing help defense or whoever mm-hmm. else? And then more more perimeter def- defensive matchups that way. I'm fascinated to see if Milwaukee prefers to go big or go small against Miami because I assume the Heat will end games 
with Bam as the five, right? Like, I don't think we're going to see Dwayne Dedman out there in that role. So I can't wait to see what what does Milwaukee do first? Because I'm sure they'll adjust at least a little bit throughout the course of the series. But do they start big first against that group or do they start small first? Because Brooke Lopez can still play. Uh, They're using him inside a lot more, which I think is really interesting. Like if the Heat go to try and put Bam on Giannis and Lopez is out there, I think the Bucs won't hesitate to try and have him mash, you know, an Iguodala or whoever else. Maybe it won't work. I mean, if anybody could defend it, it's Iguodala. But, you know, if it's an Ariza or a smaller guy, I think Brook Lopez could have a lot of success down low. But defensively, I mean, bam, running around out there, obviously quickness. There's no comparison between those two players. Uh, you can just try to see jump shots, but then, you know, if it's Duncan Robinson screening or, or bam screening for Duncan Robinson, you don't want to concede those jump shots. So I'm going to be fascinated to see how quickly the Bucks say, you know what, we're going to go with this switching group that we've liked to close some games with, but we haven't had that play that many minutes, and we just think this is the way to go. I, I think they'd go smaller, right? I think that would probably be more effective. Um, even even until recently, Bam's had problems like taking on smaller defenders too. So if you get a guy like Tucker, I mean, well, you would speak to this better than I. How, how effective has Tucker been since he joined Milwaukee this year? Obviously, it's been a huge leap in his shooting since he came from Houston. But defensively, <laughs> is he still providing that same kind of versatility? And he can can he pick up bigger guys like Bam and handle that matchup a little bit? But he he can to some degree if he's not getting a foul every yeah, single second down the court. Bugaboo has been foul trouble as a Milwaukee Buck for sure. Yeah, it just seems like every big matchup, especially this was highlighted in the miniseries against the Nets. What was that, like a month ago now? Yeah. I don't know what time is. Uh, He was, every time he was matched up on Kevin Durant, it was just constant, constant fouls. And he was still like, okay, he's he's doing a pretty good job. (laughs) Like If he can stay out of foul trouble, I think he can definitely hang with Miami. And I think he can maybe hang with Bam a little bit more than people want to give him credit for like he's he's not he's not going to match his quickness whatsoever not at all like that that is not going to happen but he can stay in front of him at least a little bit he can move his feet laterally decently quick like he can hang with the big boys and i think that's going to be important it's just going to be foul trouble that's what's kept him out of most games yeah man's been a little bit more effective in drawing fouls and he's certainly been hitting them at a higher rate than ever so i i mean I, I'm curious to see whether or not he takes that same kind of evolutionary leap. Like, I, I didn't know that Jimmy was going to transform his game once he joined Miami to, to Harden-esque levels of drawing fouls, uh, but that's also a big concern for me. Like, uh, I've talked about this recently today, actually. Uh, you know, without the benefit of the bubble and some probable home cooking with the Milwaukee uh, refereeing there, is Jimmy going to be able to get to the line 10 times per game or more than 10 times per game like he did last year in the bubble? I don't I don't know. That's going to be an interesting uh, – I don't know. It's going to be a problem for Miami to duplicate offensively if they can't get that kind of free throw shooting from a guy like Jimmy or Bam. Like if they're not getting the calls their way, what happens to Miami's offense? Is it completely bogged down? Uh, it's going to be uh, something to look out for definitely. Yeah, I think not being in the bubble just generally favors the Bucks overall. Sure. And that's not to I'm not one of these people who's, you know, discounting what yeah. the Heat did last year. But it sounds like you're calling him flukes. <laughs> I'm calling him I'm totally calling him frauds. The, the fact that's that right. Jimmy went blow for blow with LeBron and took two games off the champs with basically most meaningful players on the roster banged up, especially Dragic, total fluke. No, that's not true. But I do think just, you know, heat culture for all yeah. the memes and everything. They were so well-suited for the bubble. Like, you could tell not everybody was all the way in it in the bubble. But Miami was like, oh, no, we, we're we fine with this. Like, we're 
where we lifted weights every day together virtually and everything else. And, you know, we were like emailing Pelotons to the guys to make sure they were all good. And it paid off. Like they came there ready for action. They were a buzzsaw. And Milwaukee was like, you know, kind of just dicking around on the way in the bubble. Like they were terrible in almost all the seeding games. The one bright spot was coming back against the Heat after they gave up like a 30-point lead or whatever. They had trouble getting through Orlando, which, come on. And then they ran into Miami, and Miami was not was serious, and the Bucks weren't. So I still think Miami's more serious, but I think outside of the bubble, it's probably going to be slightly less of an advantage. And just the bubble shooting was just wonky. For I mean, I thought Jamal Murray was going to average 50 a game this year after the bubble back and forth with Mitchell and him too. Uh, but get well soon, Jamal Murray. But yeah, I think I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that changes and and. You know, if the Milwaukee home cooking helps, Bucks fans will tell you the Bucks never get good calls anywhere. Certainly sure. helps to be at home in that playoff atmosphere, though. I think uh, it's going to be on the Bucks too, to just not put themselves in those, you know, iffy situations, right? Like, you got to keep your hand out of the breadbasket when guarding Jimmy, and that's one thing I think Wes Matthews was really good at doing. Yeah. I think Drew Holiday is going to be able to do it. P.J. Tucker will see. Giannis will see. Uh, and Chris will probably not foul, but he might give up a bunch of points. I don't know. Chris has been sneakily good in a couple big matchups. He kind of phones it in on defense in a lot of games. But what was it, the Nets series? We were really impressed with his defense on Kyrie and KD, Rowan? Yeah, it was. It was the first time all season that he actually seemed like he cared on the defensive end. Like he, he I don't want to say that, but in terms of like he was locked in defensively. Well, too late, you already said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like Ty was saying, he was sort of mailing it in on defense this last season or two seasons i'll probably say yeah maybe maybe even three i don't know maybe maybe, maybe he's a 16 game player now i mean like, is he <laughs> yeah, i don't know i don't know at least on defense against, um, against the celtics he is uh, yeah against the celtics he's a, wow. he's a five game player against the celtics um wow <laughs> that's all it takes to beat boston um Damn. one thing i wanted to ask <laughs> uh david to you specifically because i'm fascinated by this because i was wrong last year right going in I thought Miami was going to have to go to Bam on Giannis right away. I was like, there's no way any of these wings are going to be able to do it. The aforementioned Crowder pretty much did it. I think he did a great job uh, on Giannis, and they still have the options. I mean, I don't think Ariza is that good, but he's similar wing player. I think maybe here and there, Jimmy could. I think some small players, not small, but smaller than, you know, seven feet, have success on Giannis, just, you know, drawing, getting those fouls, getting offensive fouls, kind of knocking the ball out, just being strong and, like you mentioned, Jimmy is strong as hell. But how do you think Miami is going to go about defending Giannis from the jump? I think it's harder this year to yeah. build the barrier. Rohan doesn't like the word wall. It's you know bad, bad memories. Build the barrier against him because of the better offensive players Milwaukee has. And I think he's just a little better. But also, Miami just different personnel this year. Yeah, I think that's a big point, too. Uh, Ariza, not as stout uh, as Crowder is. So you wonder whether or not he can handle uh, the physicality of a player like Adetokounmpo, your only other option is Andre Iguodala. And, and certainly that was, you know, uh, he was effective in that role last year, but you also had Derek Jones Jr. So you had a number of different guys that were similarly sized that could handle the occasional physicality of trying to limit Adetokounmpo or provide a barrier to stop him, not a, a wall. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. But, yeah, <laughs> now, you know, you don't have that anymore. You really don't have anybody other than Iguodala. I mean, in theory, Precious Achua, but he is – 
basically out of the rotation at this point. Like he, it seemed like early on he was being groomed to be Bam 2.0, which is, you know, that would have been really optimistic for a lot of people <laughs> to think that. But, uh, you know, he has the same size. He has a little bit more athletic explosiveness, I think, than even Bam does. But, uh, it's just, he hasn't been utilized at all. So I would imagine that we're not going to see a lot of, of Achua on Adetokounmpo moments. Although I think it's a matchup that he might be able to handle fairly well. So again, not a lot of options. You'll probably see Ariza guarding him to start games just because you don't want to get Bam into foul trouble early on and then seeing occasional switches. Look, Bam has been switching almost everything continuously. So at some point he's going to be on Adetokounmpo. It's just a matter of staying out of foul trouble for most of the game. Yeah, I think I think that what you mentioned, just you know, less bodies. I think that under yeah. like underscores the fact that Miami and Toronto these last two years made it look. I don't want to say made it look easy, but made it look very possible to build a barrier like that. Which if you've just, got the personnel, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's really possible if you have like three really stout defensive wings right. and an all-world big man who's able to rotate over and help. Like, I think they made it look easier than it is. I mean, you'll see people who don't really watch the games who are like, oh, Giannis, no problem. Just throw three guys at him. Like, if you throw the wrong three guys, you're giving up an open three, or he's just going through everyone. Right. Like, it's not easy at all. So uh, I'm glad you said that. I want to – I know I'm Rohan has a question ready, but I have a quick one. Do they want to play Iguodala a lot? I can never figure out, like – because obviously the offense is very scattershot with him at this point. Do you think he's going to play significant minutes in this series? Maybe he just kind of has to. I'm, I'm always curious about how you know people around the Heat look at his role on the team. Yes, he'll play a lot of minutes. Uh, I think the Heat and Eric Spolstra is unusually fond of saying this publicly in pressers and things of this sort, but that he, he keeps repeating the same thing, that in that locker room, Everybody loves what Andre provides. It's like, are you selling us on something? Because it kind of sounds like bullshit if you keep saying it as often as you do. It's like, do they really like him that much, or is he just giving him stock points at this point? You know, it's like, you know, who, where to invest in the next Zoom or something? Uh, I don't know, man. It's it's just Andre. It seems like he kind of provides that veteran leadership. He's obviously got the experience that a lot of players on that roster don't. So. I feel like he's going to get a lot of playing time, and hopefully, he can uh, at least hold his own uh, offensively. It's always going to be like you said, a crapshoot. Like he's going to have that 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 corner three open to him, and you'll see this confounding play where Jimmy is like under the hoop, an easy layup available to him, and then he'll kick it out to a wide open Andre Iguodala, and everybody's going, "What the? Why are you doing that? You had two points. I don't get it." And then of course Iguodala will brick it, or on the rare occasion where he hits it, it's like, "Oh, okay, that's the right play." So uh, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Uh, yes, he will get a lot of minutes. Uh, I don't know if there's other options on there, so you kind of have to go to him at this point. Yeah, that sort of leans into what I wanted to talk about next. It's Speaking of the barrier, it's been easy to do that against the Bucks because a lot of times we've seen the last couple of years, when it boils down to it, it's Giannis at the top of the key going one on five, and it's right. easy to load up against that. One of the things that the Bucks have changed up this year offensively is that is essentially gone. That is out of their uh, arsenal of plays of Mike Budenholzer's, uh, what's it like? I don't know what a Rolodex is, but sure, a Rolodex. Um, it's, 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 I, not the, it's not on the sheet anymore. It's not on the, wow. the coach. Yeah. You don't know what a Rolodex is? No, I'm starting no. to feel really old. Wow. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> on, on old desks, they used to have like a card holder because nobody had – you had no uh, cell phone, so you couldn't record a phone number. So you had to write down people's phone numbers or their business cards, and you would keep it on the Rolodex so you could just look at their phone numbers because you couldn't memorize oh, all those phone numbers. Oh, I know what that is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I just, didn't, I just didn't associate. Okay, I'm aging myself like in the opposite direction um 
But one thing the Bucks have changed this year is that, like I was saying, that's gone. And a lot of things they've done is have Giannis at the elbow and sort of facing up there. And if you put a traditional big man on him, like, I don't think Miami's going to do that whatsoever. One of the things they've done is if the big man sags off of him, they're just going to immediately flow into a DHO or into a friggin' roll right away so they can capitalize on that space. And so it's less easy to sort of build that barrier. You can't really load up against that if it's sort of like, okay, if if you're in the empty side corner or just on the wing and Giannis is facing up, there's not a whole lot you can do there. What do you think is Miami's best counter to that situation? <sighs> I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know that they have one. Um, you know, it would kind of be – you have to have, like, Bam switching constantly, I think, and that just kind of takes him out of his comfort zone. Then you leave a, a wide-open shot at the rim. Like, Miami does not – they do a pretty good job of guarding the rim, although they don't have a traditional rim protector, too. So it's just – I think, you know, if you have Giannis open there on, on the on the wing – Ah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of scratching my head just thinking about it. I don't know that there is an option for Miami. Like, you're kind of – the problem is that you have guys like like Nunn and Robinson who are not great one-on-one defenders, and so you're you're hoping that they'll be able to hold their own in individual matchups, but they can get screened off pretty easily. Like, Nunn isn't getting – he's not dying on screens as, a, as much as he was last year uh, as a rookie, so at least he's able to fight his way through those. But uh, most, of, most of the time, he's just not able to stay in front of somebody. So you're going to get a wide-open look regardless. That's the big problem is that you don't have – the same quality defenders surrounding guys like Bam and Jimmy. So I, I don't know that there are a lot of options for the Heat to be able to, to to match that or counter that. Yeah, I think in my eyes, probably the best thing is just rely on Bam trying to guard Giannis. Sure. In, in my eyes, yeah. He's just, just a uh, superhero, man. And we, he is one of, if not the best isolation defender mm-hmm. in the NBA, but – the Bucks, I think, hopefully, hopefully, are going to make it harder for him than just that. And I think it's just such a tall task if it's if it boils down to at the end of the day, can you guard Giannis one on one? Very few players are, are checking the yes box comfortably there. Yeah, that's why that's I've talked about this before, but that's why teams have to go to like, okay, how how do we best throw four guys at this one player? Because if you play straight isolation, it just doesn't work. That's why teams have to do this. But Miami with Bam is probably best suited to do so, in at least in among East contenders. I don't know. You're either living with that, or Giannis playing isolation, or you're just conceding open shots and hoping Milwaukee misses a ton of them, which they are definitely capable of doing. <laughs> <laughs> Miami does give up a lot of three-pointers, and they've been – it's been, I think – Part of their defense is geared towards giving up those open looks, but they, they do a pretty good job of, I think, limiting as far as percentages. They're not giving up a high percentage, but they do give up a, a lot of shots. So you're going to get a, a, a couple of games on the Milwaukee side of things where you will have a player like DiVincenzo or somebody else go off from the three-point line and have a really big game. So I, I'm curious. Like Miami fans will, will always say that there's one random scrub heat killer, a, a random player that oh, yeah. will just have a big game. It's going to be DiVincenzo for sure. Like, like He's going to go off for 20. Eight points at one point. I like Miami's your odds in that situation. <laughs> no, I, I look. I, I think I really Miami has given up an inordinate amount of career highs to like weird players that are not like really good players at any point in time. Like Garrison Matthews averages oh, like thirty points per game against the Heat. No kidding. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. He, he is his scoring outage is like like ten times normal against Miami, and I think it's by default. I don't I don't know exactly why, but it's just it's. A part of their defense is to give up a lot of threes, and they usually wind up doing it to players that they don't scout or, or aren't prepared for. So I could see a guy like DiVincenzo or somebody else um, 
who else would be the, a random player? Like Bobby Portis is going to get his looks for sure. Yeah. And I, I'm a little concerned about that being a huge X factor in Milwaukee's favor. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, anybody else who might fit that bill, but I'm sure Lopez, you guys can speak to Lopez it. making a bunch of oh. threes. He can score inside at will, but his, his runs of threes are so random. I was actually just thinking while you're talking, like, it's going to be important for the Bucks to be disciplined with their shot selection because we just see too often Dante dribbles into a long two. Brooke Lopez will take like three three-point attempts early in the shot clock within five possessions and none of them go in. And I just think the difference in the Bucks we saw against Philly and Brooklyn these last four games against those teams, admittedly those teams were, were short players, but just on the Bucks side of things, they played more focused. Like that first game, I think against Philly, it was Giannis, Chris, or Drew taking every single shot except for, like, open cuts and open threes. And I think that's the way they need to play all playoffs long, especially starting with a real team in Miami and not getting lucky and, and drawing, like, you know, Boston or something like that. But uh, shots are not going to stop. Um, but I, I just think they're going to have to be focused and, and not fall into a trap of too much role player shooting. I think that's going to be important. But luckily they have, you know, personnel that I think is a little more comfortable shooting if they're not 100% open, although I think Drew could – Drew's probably the worst defender at not at not shooting enough. But I'm glad you mentioned Portis. I think he and Forbes, two, the two Bucks oh, yeah. role-player new additions besides Tucker – and, well, yeah, Holiday's not a role-player. I'm, I'm fascinated, going to be fascinated to see, first, what the rotation looks like. Knowing Bud, it'll be like one of those moving puzzles that you can't ever nail down what's exactly going on. But how much he trusts those guys to play. Because both – I think are kind of defensive liabilities for sure. I think Forbes more than Portis. When the Bucks switch, when they only switch, Portis can defend fairly well. He's not a stopper, but he's not going to get played off the floor. When they try to have him drop or really do anything else, it gets it can get ugly. And I think it can, especially with Miami, if they're running all these DHOs and stuff, if the Bucks are trying to be cute and not just switch in Portis minutes, Portis's minutes, it could get bad. But on the offensive end. He and Forbes are both like 45-plus percent from deep this season. You can tell both guys are just feasting, being on better offensive teams than they've been on the last few years, Portis especially. It was just like he relocates to the corners really well. So I think I I hope that both guys get chances to play, especially Portis. I know there's a little bit of, you know, questions just like, is the defense too bad? Can you not afford to play him in the playoffs? I think you have to at least give him a run. I think he could punish the Heat a lot, but it'll be interesting to see – you know, is the punishment on the other side makes it not worth the cost. Personally, I think he can score to such a degree it's worth playing him at least 16, 17 minutes. Well, Miami's facing the same issue because their bench is not very good defensively. I mean, Deadman's been okay, but, uh, I mean, again, he's a recent addition to the team that you're relying on now. Like, he's your backup center, and there are no no other options. So it's not great to have to count on somebody like that. Uh, to provide any kind of modicum of, you know, just stability defensively. Other than that, you've got Goran Dragic, you've got Tyler Hero, who can be targeted uh, pretty easily. Like, Goran's going to be an earnest defender just because he tries, uh, even at his age, but he's slower, obviously, because of injury and age. So uh, with Tyler, he's the guy who's going to be victimized the most often. So I could see Bryn Forbes just losing him completely and then just having wide-open looks from the perimeter. Um, it, it's going to be a, a very tough challenge for Miami's secondary units. And then those minutes – 
when Jimmy and Bam aren't that on the floor, I wonder whether or not Spoh is going to stagger their minutes to some degree, uh, like he did during the regular season, or whether or not they're going to be just minutes there where, where neither of them are going to be on the floor, especially if you get Bam in foul trouble when he's guarding um, uh, Bam, I'm sorry, Giannis. It's going to be uh, tough to see whether or not Miami has any other any options like to hold their own defensively against Milwaukee's second unit. So that's that's a tough ma- matchup for the Heat. I, I think it's one that certainly favors Milwaukee. One matchup I, I, that we've already mentioned that does not favor Milwaukee oh boy. is the uh, is the coaching. Uh, <laughs> I already knew where I was going. Yeah, with that one. I did. I was actually like the question in my head because I feel like all of, David, all of your extended analysis. It sounds really good for the Bucks, right? It sounds like the Heat are in a tough position, which, I mean, it, without thinking too hard, they should be. I mean, the Bucks are the three seed, the Heat are the six seed. The Bucks have before, you know, until Jokic gets it, the reigning back-to-back MVP. He also got DPOI last year. We think he's gotten a little bit better this year. The Bucks should be in a – like, they should be able to put Miami in a really tough position. But after last season, I think everyone has so much respect for the Heat and Bucks fans have so much fear. But my question, as you keep saying these things about how tough it's going to be, can Spo coach that well that it, it glosses over all of it and Miami is still like if more than right in this series like able to you know be two two after four games or even ahead after three or four games? So Ed, Rohan, go ahead and ask your question. I just that that's what was in my mind as as you kept talking. Yeah, no, you hit on all the right points there. It's any weakness that Milwaukee has will immediately be exploited because Spoh's a genius. Like We've seen that time and time again. That doesn't need to be. It's just fact. Um, so any single weakness that Milwaukee has, and that was really, really evident last year where they picked apart every single weakness that Milwaukee had. However, we have seen this season that Milwaukee did indeed well, yeah, it seems like they've learned a little bit from that last season's heat matchup, and they might have actually stolen a bit. It, it's funny, when you were talking about, like, Tyler Heroes sort of losing Bryn Forbes, and I was like, oh, because they're using Bryn Forbes the way that Miami used, like, Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson against the Bucks last year. <laughs> like, that's that sort of thing is going to happen. But I do feel like this Bucks team, like, Ty, when you were mentioning Bobby Portis out there, and if they're trying to get too cute with it, like, Miami's going to eat that up. They're going to they're gonna find ways to be like, anytime Milwaukee is sort of undisciplined, they are going to just capitalize and pounce on it. And my question is, do you think that that is sustainable, <laughs> like, for a postseason? Like, if Miami were to win the series, like, could they win the series, I should say, based on just purely capitalizing on Milwaukee's errors? You know, I don't think it's just as easy. I don't think it's just as sustainable as all that. Like, I don't think that will be the one factor. I think there are other intangibles that certainly skew in Miami's favor, but I don't think it's just the ability to capitalize on that. Partly because the personnel is just not as great overall as it was last year. Like, there have been incremental growth. There's been incremental growth for Duncan and for. Uh, bam, but Jimmy's basically the same player he was last year. Goran's probably a step worse. So there's just not the same kind of depth and talent across that depth as there was last year, at least not in my opinion. So given that, I don't think you can just find a way to say, okay, we're going to send X player to take advantage of said matchup or anything like that. I, although you know that Spolster's going to try and find some wrinkle here and there to exploit, and he's certainly probably going to be able to do a good job of, of taking advantage of that. It feels like they've become even more reliant on Jimmy to save them uh, than they did last year. Like last year it was more about, 
oh, you know, it was a completely different starting lineup during the regular season prior to the hiatus in the bubble and everything else. Like they had Myers Leonard in there. They didn't have Jay Crowder until February, right before the hiatus took place in mid-March. So it was just a very different lineup. And everybody was kind of like they weren't expecting. Remember, the, the, the book on Miami was, well, maybe they'll probably be a seventh or eighth seed. Nobody really expected Jimmy to mesh as perfectly well. They didn't know what Bam was going to be like as a starter. Nobody knew who the hell Kendrick Nunn was. Tyler Hero was just a little white kid. He wasn't going to be able to get many points anyway. So, like, everybody didn't really count on Miami early on in the season, and they were able to take advantage of that during the regular season. And then the bubble, they switched things around. They went with Jay Crowder in the starting lineup, and obviously you guys know how effective that was. So I don't know that they're going to have have the same kind of options to to make Spo's vision a reality. But having mm. said that, my feeling is that those intangibles that are in Miami's favor are one that there's virtually no pressure on them to succeed this year. Like they were already discounted as flukes last season. They want to be able to bring a championship to Jimmy uh, during his four years because that was a promise that Pat Riley in the front office made. But if they don't manage it this year there's still two more seasons like they're already ahead of schedule because they were able to get to the finals last year uh and while they want to duplicate and build on that success this year i don't think it's as much pressure to do so because they still have a lot of cap space because they can still resign victor oladipo or they can bring in kyle lowry they can do other things next year to build an even stronger contender um so i feel like there's much more pressure on the Milwaukee side of things. Like this is a team that could be exposed. It's just regular season greats and fall apart in the playoffs. And so for a team like, like Miami that has Jimmy as a fulcrum for all that, the guy who kind of sets the trend as far as how they feel about themselves and can overpower and can just impose his will on other teams. Like they're not playing with any kind of pressure. They want to succeed. That's why they've been saying consistently all season long, but even over the last month and a half, they don't care where they fall in the standings. They don't care if they're in the play-in tournament. They don't care if they match up against Brooklyn or Philadelphia or Milwaukee. They're capable of beating anybody because they really do think that they have an advantage, and that advantage comes down to basically Jimmy Butler, our best guy, is probably better than your best guy, even a guy as great as Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah, I think that's very well said. I would say first just talking about, you know, being able to execute Spo's vision. It's like let's say Spo and Bud are playing chess, like Spo is better, but Bud has like four queens and a bunch yeah. of bishops and stuff and Spo has yeah. like five pawns and a knight. It's just like, okay, you can be really good at chess, but at a certain point there's just it's really hard to to win the game based on what pieces you have. But to the pressure thing, I think the Bucks got in a million ways, super lucky with Giannis being Giannis, right? Like in Cal- like he's gone if he's almost any other superstar by now. Like it's just not happening. But the fact that he resigned, I think, took a lot off. If if he's a free agent going into this season, they might lose in four. Like the amount of nerves around the whole organization, maybe except him, would just be like in the stratosphere. Um, so thankfully, that is not uh, as much of an issue as even as it was last year. It was of course. The media love to – I'd say the media like we're not media, but, you know, the, the, the jump media love to make that a story at, no matter what was happening about Giannis. But you don't think agency. that was a factor in the playoffs, right? Like you don't think no. he was thinking, we got to win or else I'm out of here. Clearly it didn't matter, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, at least it didn't matter enough. But, um, but no, I think even less so now, obviously, because he's, you know, around for this plus five more years. But I think it's nice that nobody – we're back to no one talking about the Bucks, which was the Bucks' reality for like – the last, you know, 30 years outside of Giannis's free agency, basically. And I think m- the most positive sign in terms of the pressure is that if it is there, they're not that concerned because they didn't do the coward move and try to punt to the heat in that 
final they that regular season mashup. Yeah, they didn't do a Clippers. <laughs> Look how it always works out for the Clippers, although the Bucks not much better in the playoffs last year. But I, I do think that outside of, you know, there were strategic reasons, I think it made sense to not punt that game. If Brooklyn somehow fell to the Cavs, you know, the Bucks could have still gotten two. I think that would have been great. But also I think – I just think it would have looked so weak if you go and try to purposefully lose to the team that ousted you last year to right. make sure you're not going to draw that. I just think it's a terrible look, and it would have looked like – then I would have said, okay, maybe they are worried about this. The fact that they just went out there, they played everybody – I think Chris missed the game, but they played everybody else and just you know played really well and won the game – I think it, you know, the individual matchup doesn't matter that much, but I think the mindset you can tell is like they're not as pressed as as I think a lot of the Bucks fans may be. So hopefully that pressure does not get to them. Also, I think like Drew Holiday and PJ Tucker are guys I rely on more in situations like that than Pat Connaughton, who's probably still going to play way too many minutes. But you know, Pat and Dante were closing every game, or at least most of the games last year. Like Dante, maybe will still be out there because yeah, he's just maybe gotten a little better. It's, it's a whole thing. But, you know, having Tucker and Drew Holiday out there instead of, like, Bledsoe and Pat Connaughton, they're just better players, and they're players that in those situations have proven more that they can be relied on, and they're not going to fold under that pressure. Yeah, I'm I, really glad you mentioned uh, not ducking that game because that's really important. Like, this Bucks team, they've been known to take these individual matchups, like, very, very, very personally. <laughs> so I think they almost wanted to see the Heat in the first round. So they're like, I hope okay, they did. Yeah, I hope so. So they're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's prove it. And it's also, it's really funny because we're talking about this. We have no sample for these two teams realistically because Jimmy has played, what, one game against the Nets, uh, Sixers, and Bucks combined, I believe. Oh, so wow. it's, yeah, we, we just, we have no sample. So that's what really intrigues me. Yeah, I was just about to ask you that. So I'm curious what the Milwaukee perspective is, because obviously Heat fans can be a little irrational, but they're like, well, you haven't even seen us at our best kind of thing. And, uh, you know, you listen to, to Bud and, and Drew, I think, uh, I don't, I can't remember who else spoke about it, but, you know, they were asked about Jimmy and the fact that he didn't play during the regular season. They're like, well, we've seen enough of Jimmy. I think we have an, a pretty good idea of who he is and what kind of impact he has. Where do you guys stand on it? Are you concerned that you haven't seen how this team might be different with Jimmy? Um, or, or do you feel like, Bud, that you've seen enough or that you can probably plan ahead on what he can provide for them? I would think the latter. I mean, it's, it's right. you know, Jimmy is Jimmy. Uh, and I think he's he's kind of, like you mentioned earlier, been a, a roughly similar player for a lot of his Miami tenure. I think I would expect him to shoot more in the playoffs than he did in the, the regular season, just like last year. I think last year as well, or maybe he winded down. Was that it? I, I, I remember last year, too, though. I thought he was shooting – a lot so less he, he did shoot more, but there were games where, like, he could take the pet, the, ga- the the foot off the gas a little bit. Like, yeah. he could just kind of sit back and, and leave it in Goron's hand. Like, remember, Goron was, like, the team's leading scorer going yeah. into, oh, yeah. uh, into the <laughs> – Yeah. And then when he gets hurt, I wonder why they lost to the finals. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> right. uh, so, yeah, so he was kind of, you know, able to just have big games. Like, it was a big game and then an off game. And it was just uh, – you know, somebody else stepped up, which that's the whole thing for Miami, is that they're going to count on somebody like Goron to – have another big game and step up, and I'm just not sure if it's as possible this year as it was last year. But you're right about Jimmy's production. Like, it'll probably go up. It's just a matter of whether or not he's going to get the same kind of foul calls as he did last year because I think that's obviously a big part of his scoring complement there is if his shot's not falling, it's like, well, I can still slow the game down and I can still keep you from going on a run because I can just run off a couple straight plays where I get to the line, and that changes momentum back in Miami's favor. 
Yeah. You know, Jimmy has a he has a ton of those LeBron esque moments where he's just like, Okay, I'm gonna dictate the pace of this game. Yeah, right? Like exactly right. like you just were saying, David. It's just okay, this is a couple possessions where I'm gonna move at my pace. And I think he will get like a good amount of foul calls. Like he definitely has the respect around the league nowadays, especially considering last year's run. Like I think I think most people recognize that Jimmy's like legit. Like Ty, you mentioned earlier, he outplayed LeBron in the finals games. <laughs> like just it's unheard of, realistically. Yeah. yeah, and I think um, I was just going to say quickly, like, if if he's even better than he was last postseason this year, I don't think it matters how much tape you're watching. They might just win the whole thing this time around. Like, if he's a level above that consistently, I, I don't know what you do. Maybe at that point the Bucs uh, aren't the more talented team um, as, as I, I think they are. But in, in terms of just the general idea of, like, you know, worrying about who you're going to play or – you know, what exactly the, the Heat are going to look like. I think the Bucks' perspective, and I don't know if it is, I think it is, but it should be, is like they should want to go in and play their game and just like beat teams. And you have to adapt a little bit. Certainly uh, Bud, more than most coaches, has to keep that in mind. But, you know, I, I don't think necessarily the Nick Nurse, like we're going to throw 18 coverages at you over the course of a series, is always the best thing to do. I think you need to be able to adapt enough to not get just like torched. But I think if you can do two, three things on defense really well and the same, maybe a few more on offense really well, but they're repeatable, that's probably more important than like just the overall number of things. The Bucks have a zone defense. It absolutely sucks. I'm sure they're going to use it at some point. I hate it so much. It's maybe so it'll work. Bad. Maybe it'll work against Miami. I don't think it will. I don't think it'll ever. work. I don't think so either. No, uh, Miami's zone defense, conversely, is pretty solid. So yeah, oh yeah, they can play the the Bucks. Maybe that's one of the things they they probably shouldn't try to take from the Heat. It's really bad. But like, I would much rather see you know a little bit of drop here and there if if in the right situations, and then a lot of switching. Then like, oh, we're also going to do the zone. Oh, we're gonna. I don't know who they box and one, but we're gonna do a box and one like. There's no need to, 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 to get too cute, I think is the right. phrase I used earlier. So I would hope that the Bucks are just like, we have a couple things, we have a couple things we're really good at. We think we have the better, the better team, that we have the best guy. We're just going to go execute our stuff and win the series. It should be, it, it's, that's an oversimplification, but it should be roughly that simple. Like the Nets aren't going to suddenly be like, be like, excuse me, we have a wrinkle. Bruce Brown shooting 15 times this game. No, like, Kyrie and Harden and, and KD are just going to have this great So, yeah, it's, right. it, it's, it's a harder than that for the Bucks because they don't have three guys at that level. But at a certain point, I do think, like, it, it, it's possible to overthink things time to time in the NBA. Well, to your point, like, that's some, one of the things that Spro always says is, like, we can only count on ourselves. Like, we can't count on, like, any kind of changes they make or anything like that. We, we have to focus on what we do best and continue to improve it throughout the course of the year, which is why they kind of start off slow. And then towards the second half, they always seem to pick things up is because they're trending in the right direction. They're they're continuously building on the strengths of that team and fine-tuning them as they gear towards the playoffs because that's ultimately the, the goal for this team every year. So uh, it's it's interesting that you bring it up because I think that's something that certainly Spo has imbued on this team is that you know, the, the kind of thinking that only they only have to worry about themselves and what they do well and not worry so much about their opponent. If they play their game and they execute as well as they're supposed to and can, they can beat anybody. So they, what you're saying is adapting and evolving and learning is possible. Like yeah. that's a thing that teams can do. Uh, some other teams, yeah. Some teams, yeah. 29 <laughs> other teams try it every once in a while. Yeah. 
Oh, <laughs> uh, I can't even. I, you can't even. I don't even say anything when people make the budget. It's just like, yeah, I know. It's we're we're hoping it's going to be better this time. But Trust I get me, it. we we make the jokes too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, are there any major facets of this series we haven't covered, or should we get to the predictions? Ooh, uh, I mean, there won't be any South Beach flu this time around. I guess. I mean, I think they're <laughs> going to be. Uh, they're not going to be any kind of hungover games there for Giannis or anybody else on the team. So I don't know any other aspects there. I don't think they're going to be. How many fans are allowed in the arena now? Fifty percent. Fifty percent more. So like around ten thousand. So yeah, a little bit more than Miami. I think they're they're bumping it up to about nine grand. Uh, yeah, I think playoffs. they're at like forty something percent. At last I saw, they were relatively similar, so it won't be. Oh, it's it's around nine or ten thousand, I believe. Yeah. And they they said they have plans to ramp it up later, uh, but for hopefully, now, for this hopefully, first, hopefully, hopefully we get for there. later, yeah, hopefully we get uh, there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, for now it's around fifty percent capacity, which is actually really interesting because there was a study that was just published that said teams that have uh, more fans at stadiums are winning a higher percentage of their home games. Ooh. Yeah, I think is it is it New York where you can only have like ten percent right now? Well, they're, yeah. they're they're ramping theirs up too, oh, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they are. I think they're going to have ten thousand ten thousand fans in the Madison Square Garden, so that's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think they said like something around like you stadiums can allocate how much vaccinated seating they have, which oh. is interesting. Yeah, I, I just hope everything is relatively similar. It would suck, and I think maybe it's some California teams that are still pretty limited, but it would suck if like you have like. A thousand fans, and you have to go play in front of like fifteen thousand. Like that is kind of a, a built-in advantage that I don't think the league can do anything about. But it is uh, an interesting subplot um, for sure. But I'll go first, and I feel silly saying for predictions. This. Right? Yeah, yeah, for predictions. Yeah. Uh, not for I don't know what else I'll be going first for. <laughs> um, I got bucks in five. Uh, I just think that wow. is it's bold for sure. I sure. probably I think it's the same I had last year, uh, but. I think six sounds good because Bucks in six, but the sixth game would be in Miami. I don't know if I like the way that would would go, and I just don't think it's a seven, so I'm just gonna go with a five. I think the Heat take one of their home games. The Buck take the Bucks take all three of of theirs. They'd be playing in that situation. I just think this this Bucks team is different, and I think they're just everything they do makes so much more sense in the playoffs. And I think it's just gonna make such a massive difference for how they play. And I think just we've seen they 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 have more access to the upper gear or the flip switch that they tried to do last year. I still wish they'd been more serious toward the end of the year, but the way we just saw them instantly be so much better against Philly and Brooklyn does give me hope that we won't see uh, all the lollygagging this year. So I'm going bold, ready to be mocked if, you know, it's the other way around again, but I'm just, that's what I'm feeling. No, it's all fair. I think, uh, I mean, it's tough to predict, right? I mean, we're kind yeah. of using either last last postseason as a template for what could happen when that's not effective because, one, the bubble, two different rosters. If you're looking at the regular season, it's kind of impossible to, to take anything from this because it's been so impacted by COVID and so many other factors. Like, you can't really take anything that happened during the regular season regularly. As you pointed out, Rowan, I mean, it's just for Jimmy to be missed against all the top competitors in the Eastern Conference. Like, that's, that's not exactly... Uh, fair for them to kind of scout ahead of uh, as to what what might happen with the Heat, but uh, yeah, good points. I, I have to go with Heat and six from my point of, of view. I, I think I, I think Miami takes one of the two games up there, uh, wins the two down here. You guys take Game Five before they close out the series in Game Six. I think they want to do that at home. I, I think again that pressure. I feel like Milwaukee can be gotten a little bit, like they can be thrown off their comfort zone, and Miami again playing. 
so carefree at this point, like very little pressure for them to prove anything to anybody other than themselves. And given that kind of willfulness that seems to drive Jimmy and everybody around him, I just like his chances to say, you know what, we're not scared of these guys. We're going to find a way to beat them somehow, some way. And usually that wins out. I'm at a point now where after what I saw last postseason, I am never going to discount that team because <laughs> Jimmy can be such a, a single-handed force of nature, uh, and everybody else seems to take their cues from him. So I think uh, Heat and Six is my prediction. See, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little bit of credit here. Uh, unlike Ty, I did not pick uh, Bucks and Five last year. I was very, very, very scared of the Heat team last year. Uh, that is one thing I will take credit for, which is not a good thing. But whatever, we're here. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna split the difference, shockingly, uh, and I'm gonna say Bucks and Seven. Ooh. I think it goes seven. I think I have a lot of respect for this Heat team. I like you were saying, David. I think this team it'll it'll go it'll be a close series. It'll be a very close series, more than people expect. I do think Milwaukee's able to pull it out, though. I do agree with you, David. Like, there's not a lot of pressure on this Heat team whatsoever. They've they've proven themselves. I think they maybe work to their detriment a little bit. Like, if they don't win, if they go out in the first round, like, okay, it's a, it's a bad season, like. Who cares anyway? That's that's what Toronto and their fan base are saying. Like it's a, it's a lost season. Who cares? Like whatever. We're not losing Masai, uh, even though they are. Um, <laughs> Future Buck. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I think it could be it, it could work against Miami a little bit. I'm gonna give the Bucks the edge in the seven game series just because I think they are the better team in terms of just on paper. And like you were saying, Ty, that chess match it can only go so long with depending on the pieces each card is given. So I'm gonna go with Bucks in seven. Yeah, I think this is a series, and it's true for every series, but I do feel like the first two games are going to be really important just because, like you mentioned, David, like the Heat's edge is is not necessarily – they have really good players and some great players, but it's not necessarily just over-talenting. It's like, you know, this is like a team that is built to grind out a series and punch somebody in the mouth and just keep punching, which is what happened last year. But I think if Milwaukee can get that 2-0 lead and not – drop either of those first two home games, I feel like that would go a long way in toward just steadying the ship a little bit to where even if Miami can come back and win two in a row, at least at that point the Bucks know, like, just got to win the home games. That's it. And I think that is such a huge edge in having the higher, in having the better seed and in, you know, just starting out the right way. So I really think this series, and it's not, not to say if they lose game one, they're done. That's how we felt against Boston in, in 19. And, you know, the Bucks go and win four straight. I think this Heat team is Who's better. Who's we? But, what? Who's we in that what situation? Mean, what, did, what did I say? We feel like you panicked. I, I'll pull up the tape. You panicked after that <laughs> loss too. I'll, I'll pull up the tape. But well, well, I'll ask that then. What happens if when if when Miami takes game one? It's, How do you guys respond? I mean, you guys think, oh, it's okay. It's a bad loss. Whatever. We'll we'll shrug it off and we'll we'll just move on to the next one. Well, I think. I against this Heat team, I guess. Yeah, I, that's the thing. <laughs> I hope that's how the team would approach it. I would certainly be worried. I don't think just because we've seen them flip around and, and just win a series after dropping game one. We saw it against Boston and uh, Orlando last year. They ended up winning in five, I think. Oh, you're comparing Boston and Orlando to Miami? I was going to say, what are you doing here, man? It's making us look bad. <laughs> it is. Well, you, you can play the teams that you play. But I do think we've just seen, like, you know, a series can flip. Game one isn't isn't 100%. Uh, an indication, but I wouldn't panic in that sense of thinking like it's off for sure. But the home game thing that I just mentioned, right at that point now, Miami just needs to win their home game. So I think the Bucks would need to like really, I, I we have to see how the game goes, but I could see like something dramatic, like a different starting lineup or something like, 
you know, if, if Lopez is getting played off the court, you just can't play him. Like, I just think the Bucks are a team that loses the small things a lot. And I think they'd have to tighten up to a really, a really tight extent at that point. And then it just becomes hard to make a long run because you're, you're grinding out every single possession. I think if you lose game one to the Heat, I think everything needs to be incredibly serious every single minute to get back in the series. That's for that, sure. That's and that we, pressure I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. Though. It's like all of a sudden you guys are like changing the starting lineup. It's like you lost game one. Who cares? Relax. Take it easy. But no, it's like panic. What was me? The sky is falling. Everything falls apart well, very quickly. There. That's us, though. I think the team might be better. <laughs> would hope. So, we that will helps. say that, like, we, we've we seen from reporting recently that uh, Bud is essentially coaching for his job in right. this playoff. Yeah. Right. So if we do see, like, a game one loss to the Heat in the series, like... He better make some changes. Right? Yeah, that's <laughs> what we're saying. Like, he's going to have to almost make some changes just, just to do it, just to save it face. It might as well resign in between games one and two, right? I mean, yeah. Like, change the lineup. Yeah. yeah. So we asked he, for last year. I remember. Yeah, we we did. And uh so that that could work out well for the Bucks. I think the most pressure like I was saying in that situation is going to be on coach Bud, which is who you want the pressure to be on in that situation. It's like, okay, now how do we respond to this? I think the players are going to be fine. I think it's going to the pressure is going to really be on Bud. I do think this team is very well equipped to handle that sort of that sort of gut punch of a game one loss. They like I was saying, like it's not the same stakes, but they have rebounded from that before. They you know, it, it's a tough minded team. They don't just they're not gonna just give up at first sight. And just one last thing, I know we're going long here. A part of Bucks in five for me, that, that being the pick, is we haven't we didn't get to this much. I, I think we'll we'll see it a lot. I think this is gonna be a different Giannis. I think the last two losses are really were served to kind of crystallize what he has to be better at. And it's not just shooting, although we've seen that in spurts. And then we've seen him take it too far and, like, shoot 10 threes, which is way too many. But I think also just, like, he's been a much better passer this year. Like, he's found ways to slow down and not just drive directly into players. Like, find an open player. Use some more finesse. Find someone in the dunker spot. Take that elbow jumper. Take that post fadeaway more often. And I think – you know, that really is, at the end of the day, one of the things that could be the biggest X factor. Like, if Giannis suddenly is able to be that LeBron-esque, and not in terms of how good he is, but in terms of, like, oh, I don't need to be enabled anymore, and you just can't stop me. Like, I'm going to get a shot off that's good no matter what. Then that just changes everything entirely, right? And we're operating under the assumption that he's still going to be somewhat limited in that capacity. And I am too, but I think he's going to be better there. And I mm-hmm. think that's just, like, it's just such a game changer for the Bucks. Like all the pieces around him are important. They all, all those changes had to be made for sure. They they couldn't have kept going with Bledsoe and, and not Holiday. But also Giannis needed to get better too, and I think that gets overlooked sometimes. And I think he did. So I think all of those things in conjunction is what makes this team capable of, you know, banishing a boogeyman, so to speak. Uh, great points. Uh, looks, I mean, part of it is that, uh, of course, I cover the team, so I have to be made <laughs> positive. But I, it's not like I'm uh, overlooking Milwaukee or all. No, of course not. Yeah, like that. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a really good team. Both teams are really good, and it's going to be fun. I, I like I like the added drama of a rematch from last year too, and, and different things for each team at stake. So uh, different things there. So it's going to be fun to watch. I'm looking forward to it. And yet, it's still the uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, 1 Central game. I'm okay Saturday. with that. I'm okay with that, to be honest with you. I, we can get off me. the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's true, but also, like, come on. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it does work better. Like, for timing purposes, I, I love it. 
But just out of a respect level, like, come on. This is probably the best first-round series if you're doing it like this. Wait, but those, those games are always, like, more exciting, right? Like, it's always the, the primetime matchup that always winds up falling short because somebody gets a blowout or something like that. I remember that being the case last year in the bubble where it was, like, the 12:30 game on a Wednesday was like really exciting, and then it was like the primetime matchup kind of wound up being really shitty. So it was. Uh, I, I hopefully it'll be like that around that you know, kind of a level of, of quality play this year. Yeah. For sure, I think this is going to be one heck of a series. It's going to be it's going to be interesting to see this team, uh, these two teams, really go at it. Uh, before we end things here, David, plug yourself. Oh, uh, you can follow me at DRamil13. I'll be occasionally writing about the playoffs for Forbes Sports as well. Uh, I do not contribute to the step back as much as I used to, but uh, you can always follow me at Locked On Heat too, where I will be bringing you the best Miami Heat coverage during the playoffs. For sure, at least, at least at least tied, at least tied for the best <laughs> with the Miami like, Heat beat pod. Of there's course. like Don't a million other David. podcasts out there. Yeah, I know it's all right. I've just, just been at it longer than everybody. No, else. no, no. I know. I just I, I couldn't couldn't get myself in trouble, but you do tremendous work. Hey, we, we have you on here for a reason. Yeah, and Thank there's you, always man. room for more than one podcast on a particular beat for sure. But no, tremendous Absolutely. work. You should follow David and the podcast for sure. But. Uh, I don't have anything else, Rohan. I think we 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 nailed it here. This was a great conversation really about this series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was a pleasure having you on, David. Thank you so much for uh, coming on here and talking with us. Make sure all of you listening, make sure you check out David for everything you just said. And we'll thank you for listening to this episode of the Eurostep here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. If you did enjoy the show, make sure to rate and review, subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Make sure you tell all your family and friends about the show. Stay safe, everyone, and we will talk to you next time.